Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by his spirit, will use his word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemerknoxville.org. We also want to give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemerknoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much, and here is this week's sermon. Well, if you have a Bible and you would like to follow along with me, you can do so by turning to Luke chapter 7. We're going to be looking uh, this morning at verses 67 through 80. You can follow along with me in your bulletin that's been provided. You can download it online. You can follow along in your own Bible if you'd like to do that. I do want to welcome you to Redeemer, whether it's in person or at home. We're really glad to have you with us uh, this morning. My name is Sean Slade. I'm the pastor here. And we're glad to have you because we know that there are a million different things that you could be doing this morning. For instance, you could be preparing for the Manchester United Leeds United football match. It's happening in about an hour, so we got to get this thing going uh, and go Leeds. Um, or uh, you could be at home preparing to watch the college football playoff show, which is coming up. It's going to be fantastic to see where my Clemson Tigers are going to play and who they're going to play. I'll just tell you all this. It doesn't get old uh, with your team going into the playoffs every year. So uh, one day, uh, one day. Uh, Others of you, you know, you could be at home uh, listening to some hot jams from the new T-Swift album. Others of you might be at home gathering around the fire, chestnuts roasting like a hot July. You could be chilling with your folks, I know but you can also be under the mistletoe. That's a little Justin Bieber for you, but you're not doing any of those things. Uh, You're here with us this morning, and I do want to thank you. Whether you're in person or at home, it's great to have you. And the reality is that there really is nothing better that you could do with your time than worship Jesus, considering his claims upon your life, and then thinking about the beauty and the kindness of his incarnation with us. And so thanks for being with us this morning. Welcome to Redeemer. Uh, What is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer's a church, and what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God, and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God, he's the Messiah, and he's entered into the world to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. And so every week as his people, we gather together to worship him so that we might learn to rest in that love that God has for us in Jesus. And as we rest in his love, we then become a people who love to gather together in community. We love to spend time with one another, watch TV with each other, listen to old cassette tapes with one another, gather around, you know, a fire pit with each other, read the Bible, pray together, all to remind each other of the great love that God has for us in Jesus. Uh, So uh, we also are a people who then love to gather together uh, in service so that we might become a people Uh, who reflect the love of God to our family, to our friends, and to our neighbors who are here in Urban and University, Knoxville, and hopefully in some way it would spill out into the entire world. That's who we are. We're people who are trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And so to help us do that during this Advent season, we have been going through a series that we've called Repeat the Sounding Joy, and we've been looking at these songs, these songs of preparation, 
in Luke chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 2. And so a few weeks ago, our good friend Josh McQuaid taught us how to sing of the hope that is ours in Jesus. And then a few weeks ago, hopefully, we learned to sing of the joy that we have in Jesus. Last week, hopefully, we learned to sing of the faithfulness uh, of God that we see in Jesus. And this week, what I hope we'll learn to sing is of the peace that is ours in Jesus. All right, the peace that is ours in Jesus. So with that in mind, let's look together. Luke chapter 1, verse 67 through 80. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of the salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Would you pray with me now for the teaching? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you are a God who isn't uh, hidden, nor are you silent, but you are one who delights to reveal yourself and the peace that you seek with us. And so we thank you for this, your word, and we pray that by your spirit you would attend unto us that we might see lovely things of you and your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, during this season of Advent, we love to think about all those amazing Christmas movies, and we debate and we fight over what's the best Christmas movie ever. And so we talk about movies like It's a Wonderful Life and Miracle on 34th Street and Elf and Die Hard and Gremlins and Christmas Vacation, maybe even Jumanji. And all these are amazing movies. They're Hall of Famers in the Christmas genre. Uh, But one of my favorite Christmas movies um, is from 2005. Uh, It's a French film called Joyeux Noël. And uh, Joyeux Noël is, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's French for uh, Merry Christmas or Happy Christmas. But Joyeux Noël is the story, it's the true story of Christmas Eve 1914 in German-occupied France. It's the height of World War I and the horror of humanity is on full display The Germans, the Scots, and the French, they've dug their trenches. Some of these trenches are only about 20 yards away from one another. They can hear one another talking and running up and down the trenches. The dead are sort of scattered across the field, and the sorrow and the fear uh, is filling the hearts of these young men who have been sent off to war. 
As the darkness begins to descend upon the battlefield uh, and the soldiers begin to settle into their trenches for Christmas Eve, uh, the Scottish regiment pulls out their pipes and they begin to play this song, I'm Dreaming of Home, and the whole regiment begins to join in and sing together. Well, the Germans, they hear them singing and playing, and so they reply, and they reply by, I don't know where they got these, but they reply by lifting up all these evergreen branches that have candles on them, and they line the trenches with these sort of Christmas trees. The German regiment, they have an opera singer among them, and he begins to volley back to them after their song. He sings Silent Night. And he sings Silent Night, it's amazing, he sings it not in German, nor in French, nor in English, but he sings it in Latin. And to sing in Latin at the time would be an attempt at unity, because Latin was that Catholic universal ecclesial language at the time. And you know the song, it goes Silent Night, right, Holy Night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace sleep and heavenly peace. After an afternoon of death and bombs and gunfire, the evening concludes, the day concludes singing about peace, sleeping in peace. And as he's saying, the Scottish pipers began to join in, and at the end of the song, the French troops rose up out of their trenches, not to attack, but with a standing ovation. The Scots responded to Silent Night by singing, O come all ye faithful. And you know how that song goes. O come let us adore him. O come let us adore him. O come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. The German opera singer joins in. He climbs up a trench. He picks up a Christmas tree and he walks out to the middle of no man's land. And there he is standing between the trenches. And as the song concludes, uh, the Scots and the French and the Germans join him there in the middle of the trenches. The French come out bearing champagne. The German come out with their chocolate bars. The Scots bring their cigarettes. And they trade. They trade their goods. They trade things that they have with one another. They, they show pictures of their loved ones to one another. They bury their dead together. They sang songs together. They worshiped there together in the no man's land. They even played games of soccer with one another. And for that brief moment, what they were doing was they were sharing humanity with one another. Amidst the horrors of World War I, there was this moment of peace. And there was peace because this man had repeated the sounding joy. He'd begun to sing. And in his singing, he reminded the world that Jesus had been born. And so with one accord, even if it was just for two days, they laid down their weapons and they pursued the way of peace with one another. And that's the hope of Zechariah's song. It's the trajectory of his song. As Zechariah is singing, he's singing that Jesus came to lead us in the way of peace. You'll remember Zechariah had been silent for about nine months, and I would assume if you've been on a forced silent retreat for about nine months, you've stored up a lot of words, and you've got some things to say. And so when John is born, just as the angel said he would be, Zechariah's tongue is loosened. 
And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he begins to sing. And as he begins to sing, the main theme of his song is that God's way is peace. That God's way is peace. Would you say that with me? God's way is peace. And I love Zechariah's song because here is a father who's so proud of his little boy. He's so proud that his son is going to have the privilege of preparing the way of the Lord. And that's the way uh, the song ends, verse 76. He says, and you, child. And you could imagine Zechariah holding his son in his arms, maybe tracing his eyebrows with his index finger, maybe tracing the bridge of his nose with his, uh, the back of his hand. And as he looks into the eyes of his son, he says, you will go before our Savior. You are the one set apart by our God to go before our Savior. And our Savior, verse 79, will guide our feet into the way of peace. Peace is what we long for. Peace is what Zechariah longed for. If you think about Zechariah, he was the priest of Israel, uh, the nation that Zechariah loved, was a nation that had no peace. It was under the thumb of Roman oppression. And he was longing for God to give them peace, longing for God to deliver Israel from this oppression. He longed to see God's rule and reign over his people and over the land once again. And he longed to see righteousness and holiness and justice and goodness and truth. He, he longed to see love and good deeds and forgiveness fill the earth once again. It's what all of us long for too. And it's what we long for because it's what we were made for. I'm sure you remember uh, the beginning, but in the beginning God made the heavens and the earth and everything that God had made, it was good. And God hovered over the darkness and over the face of the deep and he called forth from that darkness, he called forth from that deep, he called forth life. He called forth life out of that. He called forth light out of the darkness. He brought order to the chaos. And what he's doing in that moment is bringing peace to his creation. He's filling his creation with good, beautiful, orderly things, beautiful things. Like mountains and lakes and deserts and streams and eagles and eels and sharks and minnows and the birds and the bees and men and women. As God looked at his creation, he was pleased with it. He said it was good. He was at peace with what he had made. And it seems to be that daily he would even enter into that good creation and walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And he did this because he was at peace with this world. The world was at peace with him and peace with itself and peace with one another. But then, for some reason, Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God and when they rebelled against God, they brought disharmony into the world. And through their rebellion, there was no peace. The peace that God had made was broken. And since that time, right, humanity has been at war with God. God kicked us out of the garden. Thorns and thistles have begun to grow up around us. Our relationships have been become complicated and burdensome. And then sadly, by page three or four of your Bible, depending on your version, uh, humanity uh, started killing one another. We started killing one another in order to get what we wanted. And because we didn't believe God was good. 
And the story of the Bible uh, is that God, who is good, made a beautiful creation, and we rebelled against our good creator, and we wanted to go our own way. And because we went our own way, God's anger and his wrath rest upon us. God hates our sin. He hates our rebellion. If you keep reading the Bible, the Bible goes on to tell us that the wages of sin is death. And therefore, there is no peace. And deep down, we all know this. This is why all of us are afraid of death. This is why all of us constantly think that God is out to get us, that he hates us. It's why we're mad at him. It's why we don't trust him. It's why we feel guilt and why we feel shame. It's why we judge one another and we fight and claw to get what we want. It's why we feel right in constructing our own truth and pursuing our own desires. It's why we're at war with one another and at war with God because we actually don't believe that God is good and so we've gone our own way. We don't believe that God loves us and so we pursue our own loves. And what we learn both in the Bible and in our experience is that there is no peace, that we are at war. We're at war with ourselves, we're at war with one another, we're at war with the creation, and most fundamentally, we are at war with God. But here's the beauty of Christmas. Christmas teaches us that the way of our God is not the way of war, but the way of our God is the way of peace. That God's way is peace. Would you say that with me? God's way is peace. I want you to notice some really lovely, beautiful things in this text. Beginning in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us. I want you to think about that. That This text is saying, blessed be the God of Israel because he has visited us. He's drawn near to us. And what this tells us is that our God is not content with the hostility. Our God is not content with the distance. And so he does something about it. He visits us. He draws near to us in Jesus. And this is important because if you think about the narrative, he could have said, fine, just go your own way. Just go do what it is you want to do. He could have said, I want nothing to do with you anymore. Get out of my space. Or what he could have done is just blown the whole thing up and started over. But that's not the way of our God. The way of our God is the way of peace. And so in order to pursue peace, he drew near to us. He visited us in Jesus. And when he visits with us, I want you to notice how he comes. He comes, verse 72, to show mercy. Isn't that amazing? That God would visit us in mercy. That he came in mercy. He didn't come to punish or to curse. Instead, he came to bear the curse and to undo it. And so rather than coming to punish us for the sins that we justly deserve that punishment, rather than coming with that punishment, he came in mercy. And he came to pardon us or to forgive us. And you see that again in verse 77. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. 
And what I want you to see here is that God drew near to us, he visited us in mercy to forgive us. To forgive us for all those ways that we have attempted to enthrone ourselves over him and to enthrone ourselves over one another. He drew near to us in mercy to forgive us for those ways that we've twisted his word and ignored his word and broken his word and in doing so have broken his heart. And I think that this is really important for us to recognize because the peace of Christmas isn't just warm eggnog and a cozy fire listening to Enya Christmas. Uh, the peace of Christmas is that God in his mercy has drawn near to us to forgive us so that we might have peace with him. This is the greatest gift. That God would come in the flesh to save us from our sins and make peace. Well, how is it that God would do this? When Jesus came and he visited us, he visited us as our representative. You probably remember that in the garden, uh, Adam was the representative for all of humanity. And so when Adam sinned, we sinned. And when Adam sinned, we not only received the guilt of Adam's first sin, we actually then began to walk in the way of Adam's first sin. And so when Jesus comes, the New Testament tells us that he came as our second Adam, meaning he came as our new covenantal representative. He came in the flesh to represent humanity to God and God to humanity. So in the flesh, he lived the life that we were supposed to live. In the flesh, he loved the way we were supposed to love. In the flesh, he spoke the way we were supposed to speak. In the flesh, he desired the things we're supposed to desire. In the flesh, he worshipped God the way he's supposed to be worshipped. And so what I want you to see is that as Jesus visits with us, he visits with us as our representative, as, as the true image bearer coming into the world in order to fulfill the creational purpose for which God had made us. And so he comes as the true image of God to fill the earth as one who loves God and loves his neighbor in everything he did. And so this makes us ask the question, well, if Jesus did everything he was supposed to do, then why would Jesus grow up and die on a cross? Well, here's why. In order to make peace. Jesus died on the cross because God's way is peace. God's way is peace. Say that with me. God's way is peace. So to make peace, verse 71, Jesus bore the anger and hatred of humanity against God and against one another. And on the cross, Jesus bears the anger and the wrath of God against humanity. In verse 68, we see that his death redeems his people. Do y'all know what it means to redeem? Redeemer? Do you know what it means to redeem? Right? To redeem means to buy back uh, from slavery. And to redeem, there's always a, a, a redemption price or a ransom price. And it's a price that's paid to give freedom so that the person might be released to be who they were supposed to be. And so as Jesus is dying on the cross, he's dying as that ransom price. 
He's dying as that price of redemption. He, he's dying to pay for our sins and to then free us, verse, 77, or verse 74, to serve and love him. And so when Jesus is dying on the cross, he's not merely an example of self-sacrifice. Jesus is actually the ransom price that frees us from our sin and death and frees us to love and serve God. Jesus is dying as theologians and as the Bible say, as a propitiation. A propitiation is just basically a fancy word for the offering or the sacrifice that satisfies divine anger. Jesus died to satisfy his own anger at our rebellion against him. That's amazing. That is what is so amazing about Christianity, that in history and in flesh and in blood, God is satisfying his own anger at humanity by pouring out his anger on himself. Can you believe that? That, that? That's the way of our God, that he wants peace so much that he would pour his anger out on himself so that we could have peace with him. Like what God does that? I mean, almost every other God uh, wants us to appease their anger. Almost every other God wants us to suffer their wrath and their anger. But our God is a God, the living and true God is the God who appeases his anger in himself so that we might have peace with him. And this is why Christians sing. Christians sing because God has made peace with us. We sing because the way of God is the way of peace. And if the way of God is the way of peace, then as the people of God, we must learn to become a people of peace. You see this in verse 79, to guide our feet into the way of peace. We must learn peace. We don't come by peace naturally. It seems to me that our sinful nature is a nature that loves to sow discord. We love to spread rumor. We love to gossip. We love to slander. We love to exclude. We love to divide. We love to fight. We love to harbor anger. And it is impossible for any of us to turn away from the train wreck. But the way of God is the way of peace. And if our God is a God who would draw near to us and visit with us and seek us and pursue us and would lay his life down for us, all because he desires to make peace with us, we must learn to do the same. We must learn to lay our weapons down with one another and pursue one another in love and in mercy so that we might pursue peace. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about the movie Joe Noel. 
that the horrors of humanity are at work and there are real divisions, there's real conflict, there's real horror, the nations are at war and they lay their weapons down because a man decides to sing about the coming of Jesus. Christmas ought to remind us in the midst of all of our turmoil and anxiety that God has come to make peace. I mean, think about where we are as a culture. I mean, Washington is in transition. The virus is raging. Relationships are in conflict. Sorrow and anxiety fill the air. But Christmas tells us that God doesn't hate us. He's not out to get us. Christmas tells us that God's way is actually a way of peace. God's way is peace. Would you say that with me? God's way is peace. And that's what the table reminds us of. The table reminds us that God's way with us is the way of peace. And as we come to this table, the table shows us the lengths to which God would go to make peace with us, that he would enter into this world, that he would take on flesh and blood, and that he would endure the rejection and the wrath of humanity against God, and he would endure the rejection and the wrath of God against humanity on our behalf so that God would have peace with us. You see, this table and Christmas are really invitations for us to lay down our weapons because we have a God who's made peace. We have a God who doesn't hate us. We have a God who's not out to get us. In fact, we have a God who came to us to visit with us, who gave himself for us in order to woo us back to himself. And now what does he do? But he invites us to this table so that he might feed us, to feed us with good things, with bread and wine, to fill us with himself so that we might be strengthened by his peace, so that we might go out learning to walk in his ways of peace, filling Urban and University Knoxville, filling hopefully in some way the world with the ways of God, which is the way of peace. This table reminds us that God's way is peace. Would you say that one last time? God's way is peace. Therefore, I invite you to rise. <laughs>